Father in heaven, um, it, it really is just an absolute gift that we uh, get to call you Father, get to call you Daddy. Um, and it's only because of Jesus, because of his work on our behalf and the gift of faith, Father, that you've given us to trust in him and the reality of the Holy Spirit convincing us of our sonship or daughtership before you, Father God. So we praise you, Trinitarian God, God of the Bible. We thank you that you are relational, that you are not distant, that you are near, that you love us, that you're for us. Thank you for your word that you've preserved for us. Thank you that it tells us who you are and what you're like. Thank you that it is authoritative, that it's from you, that it's for our good. And pray that you would give us a, an eagerness and an attentiveness as we hear your word this morning. Shine the spotlight on King Jesus. Impress us with him. Refresh us in the gospel. We thank you, Jesus, and we pray in your name. Amen. It was a Tuesday morning. I was in sixth grade. I remember my mom and I pulling up in the family's black Chevy Suburban to Kirkland Junior High. I was in band for a couple years back then, playing the alto saxophone, don't know how to play it now, could kind of play it back then, uh, but I was in band for a couple years, and this was our norm, to pull up uh, to the, the junior high school Tuesday and Thursday mornings. This was a Tuesday morning, probably about 7.45 a.m., and as was our custom, my mom would pull the Suburban up to the curb, and then we would flip the radio on, and we would watch, or at least I would watch, as some of my other classmates would trickle into the band building, because I definitely um, didn't want to show up first, because I wouldn't know what to do. So we did, as was our custom, turn on the radio, and it was a super normal morning, until about five seconds after we turned on the radio, I realized that this was no normal morning. It was the morning of September 11th, 2001. Where were you? <laughs> if you can remember, if you were alive then, September 11th, 2001. These where were you kind of moments are few and far between for some of us. They're, they're um, monumental moments that, that, that impact all of our lives. And for others of us, they're these little moments that are just a where were you when kind of moment when this specific thing happened to you in your life personally. I might ask this question. Where were you when COVID-19 became a really, really big deal? Where were you when schools shut down? When were, where were you when mass mandates became a thing? Where were you when COVID became a really big deal? I remember I was in the gymnasium at Western Washington University's campus rebounding a basketball for a guy named Sean and talking to one of their coaches named Dave when I heard that schools were shutting down because of covid 19. Where were you when that happened? March 2020. We fast forward now 16 months or so, and here we are. <laughs> the world is different. My world is different. Your world is different. Loved ones lost for some of us. Psychological damage done, the economy shaken, things like mask mandates, social distancing, capacity restrictions, businesses shutting down, and a host of other things all became really, really normal. 
and a new normal emerged. And for us as a church, and for churches nationwide and worldwide, a new normal emerged. We tried to fumble around with things like Zoom, (laughs) things like live streaming, things like trying to figure out how do we work together digitally as a church to be the church in this age. (laughs) As I've talked to some of you lately, as um, most mandates have lifted, we're, we're we're kind of trying to figure out how to redevelop a social muscle. <laughs> trying to figure out how to redevelop this muscle of community. <laughs> Oftentimes you'll see handshakes met with awkward fist bumps. <laughs> you'll see people stumbling over, myself as well, stumbling over small talk. Things that used to be very normal to us socially and in community now seem to be challenging. So, what do we do? The COVID cobwebs, if you will, are real. And how do we re-engage? How do we re-engage? Now, let me do a massive pressing of pause right now. As, though, as there are people in our church, beloved men, women, kids in our church who are immunocompromised, who before the Lord and their good conscience, it would not be wise or prudent to re-engage in person. We love you. We are with you in spirit. We feel for you. We are in your corner. And we hope to continue to leverage technology to make us feel like a church in these moments. Well, for those of us who that is not the case, and we have this this massive uh, focus on on helping us as a church figure out, man, how do we re-engage? How do we develop this underdeveloped muscle of of community? A huge need is for us to re-engage and to relearn the beauties of what it means to be in biblical community to the glory of God and for our flourishing, the very community that God built us for. Last week, Paul introduced a sermon series that will be in throughout the duration of the month of July. This series called Analog Church. And for the next couple weeks, we're gonna focus in on what it looks like for us to be an analog church in a digital world. It comes from this book, called Analog Church (laughs) by Pastor Jay Kim. It says, Analog Church, the subtitle then, Why We Need Real People, Places, and Things in the Digital Age. And the text we're going to look at this morning is really a sweet spot for biblical community. It's really going to give us a blueprint of what it looks like to have meaningful biblical community. And we're going to hone in specifically on Acts chapter 2 verses 42 through 47, to get a picture of what meaningful biblical community looked like for the early church in Jerusalem. There's going to be three kind of flows or phases uh, to the sermon here. Uh, The first one is this, what they were devoted to. These people in Acts chapter 2, what were they devoted to, number one? Number two, what their devotion looked like in action? And number three, ask the question, why not us? So again, number one, what were they devoted to? Number two, what did their devotion look like in action? And number three, why not us? We'll take them in order. Acts chapter two, verses 42 through 47. 
This is the word of God from him for us. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Acts chapter 2, verse 42, we see um, Luke, the one who penned the book of Acts, he says this, and they devoted themselves. And they devoted themselves. Who is the they? I want to look back for a moment in order for us to, to, to figure out who the they is as we move forward through this text. The they, if you look back to verse 41, it says this, so those who received his word Talking about the word, the gospel, the good news that God saves sinners through Jesus Christ. So those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. There was a guy named Peter who got up right after, um, right after uh, Jesus had ascended to the right hand of the Father and the Holy Spirit came down and the Holy Spirit empowered and filled the early church and ordinary men and women like you and I um, were filled with the Holy Spirit Peter gets up, preaches a sermon, boom, 3,000 people get saved. That's what happens in verse 41 we see. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added 3,000, that day about 3,000 souls. Boom, now we're in verse 42. It says, and they. So the they is the 3,000 people, the baby Christians. They've been Christians for a couple minutes, moments, days, maybe weeks. We don't know exactly but they are baby Christians. They have believed in Jesus for the first time afresh. And then they do some stuff. (laughs) It says this, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. I want to back up. Imagine with me an established artist. And an aspiring artist, young, excited, aspiring artist reaches out to this established artist and says, I want to be like you. I admire your work. Gladly, the established artist responds and says, yes, I will take you under my wing. So the established artist invites the aspiring artist into her studio. They spend about 45 minutes or so looking around and and the established artist is showing the young aspiring artist some of her artwork and and the young aspiring artist is just jaw dropped, amazed, inspired, looking at the intricacies of this, this established artist's artwork. And the young aspiring artist says, how do you do it? (laughs) And the more established artist says, real matter of factly, I'm devoted to it. I'm devoted to my artwork. The young aspiring 
artist says, well, I want to be like you. I want to have a body of artwork like yours. What do I do? And the established artist says, here's a few things that you'll really want to do. Number one, devote yourself to making your artwork consistently. Number two, devote yourself to creating a vibe or a feel for your artwork. Number three, devote yourself to the business aspect of your artwork. And number four, devote yourself to showing your artwork in all sorts of different places. You see, what's happening here is the established artist is giving the aspiring artist a blueprint, saying, do this and you will become what you want to become. Similarly so for us in verse 42, it gives us a blueprint for things that we can devote ourselves to or redevote ourselves to in order to continually pursue what it means and what it looks like to be a meaningful biblical community. So here's the blueprint. Four things from this text that these baby Christians devoted themselves to. And they devoted themselves. This word devoted, it means to be committed or continually steadfast, to be devoted. They devoted themselves, it says, to the apostles' teaching. At this time, the entire Bible was not written. This would have been the Old Testament scriptures as taught by the apostles. And it says that they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They had this, it seems like they had this posture of, of hunger and eagerness and attentiveness and humility and, 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 and they were just about the Bible. The big idea is this, is that they were devoted to the Bible. Dear Christian, the Bible is your unequivocal lifeline in a complex age as we try to figure out how to live Christianly. And I'll say this, dear church, the Bible is our, collectively, our unequivocal lifeline. As we try to figure out how to live Christianly and biblically in a complex age. <clears throat> it's been sad lately as I've seen Christians, even people in our church who have slowly and maybe not even consciously gone down or seem to be going down a slippery slope of being devoted to aspects of the Bible, but not the Bible in its entirety. Being about certain aspects of the Bible and sidestepping or avoiding other aspects of the Bible. And friends, it's tragic. It's tragic. In this cultural moment that we're in, being devoted to the Bible is challenging. It's challenging because some of your friends or your family or culture, if you are fully devoted to the Bible and its authority and entirety, they might dash you against the rocks. And if you bend the truth a little bit of the Bible, they might high-five you and praise you. Friends, it's challenging to be devoted to the Bible. This gets real, real for me in, in, in tons of ways, but as I apply, and I think of myself as a dad, I'll say this, far be it from me to be a dad 
who cherry-picks the Bible, and my boys, Emmett and Warren, grow up seeing a dad who cherry-picks the things he likes from the Bible and, and just sidesteps the other things. Far be it from me and my wife to raise our boys like that. Let us be, church, devoted to the Bible, joyfully submitted to its authority in its entirety for God's glory and for our flourishing. It's what this church did, man. They devoted themselves to the Bible. And we need help with this. We need God's help in order to be devoted to the Bible. John Stott says this, and man, by God's grace, would this be true for us? He says, the Spirit of God This is how we need God's help. The Spirit of God leads the people of God to submit to the Word of God. Let it be so for us. The second thing we see this early church devote themselves to is this um, funky word fellowship. In the Greek, it's this word koinonia. It means association or communion close relationship. It's rooted in the Greek word common. And saying that that they devoted themselves to the fellowship, it's saying that these people, these early Christians, they shared a common faith in a Trinitarian God. In other words, saying they had fellowship. The big idea here is that they devoted themselves to the church. We see them devote themselves to the Bible, and here we see them, them devote themselves to the church. The third thing we see them devote themselves to is this, this, this phrase, the breaking of bread. To the breaking of bread. They devoted themselves to this. The translation likely means these two things, that they ate food together and that they, they received the Lord's Supper together. Likely what it would have been is some sort of um, um, uh, communal meal and, and they're, they're having food, they're having a good time, they're enjoying, and then at some point throughout the meal, or maybe after the meal, they receive the Lord's Supper, also known as communion together. And this is likely what Luke is saying when he says they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. They ate food together, they shared meals together, and they also shared in the Lord's Supper together. The Lord's Supper, which we'll celebrate here, have an opportunity to celebrate at the end of our service here, is this reminder, this retelling of the good news of the gospel. It's this bread that represents Jesus' body that was broken on the cross and the juice that represents Jesus' blood spilt on the cross. And Luke is saying that these early Christians devoted themselves really to the gospel, to the retelling and reproclamation of the gospel. They were devoted to the gospel. In the gospel, what we see, and one of the reasons why this is really good news for us is we see God the Father temporarily turning his back on his son so that rebels like you and I could be welcomed in and have a heavenly father and that the punishment that you and I deserve goes on Jesus and that we get adopted in through faith and Jesus adopted into God's family and not only do we have then a heavenly father who loves us, adores us, and is for us, but we also have a community, a family of brothers and sisters. And the only way this happens is through the gospel, through Jesus Apart from Jesus, 
This whole thing is a, a pipe dream. So they devoted themselves to the gospel, and fourthly, they devoted themselves to prayers, it says. What does that mean? I think it probably means they prayed together. <laughs> they prayed together. How do we do this? <laughs> How do we devote ourselves to these things in an age of digital dominance, we could say. Jay Kim says this. He says, almost every argument I've ever heard in support of churches leaning more heavily onto the digital age makes this point. The fastest growing, most profitable companies in the business world are the ones leveraging digital platforms. The argument would make all the sense in the world if, if the church had the same goals as companies like Amazon and Uber. We don't. So what do we, church, do in a digitized world? Here's one thing we don't do. We don't say digital is bad, but we do learn and lean into the reality that digital is not best. It's not bad. It's just not best. Jay Kim goes on and he says this. The Christian church has always been marked by her ability to create and invite people into transcendent spaces and experiences. The church has always been most dynamic and effective when she has stood in stark contrast to the dominant culture of the day, zigging when the world is zagging. This sort of creative, resistant, and prophetic posture is what we need most in the digital age. And the most creative, prophetic way to stand in opposition to the digital age is to lean into analog opportunities. To gather when the world scatters, to slow down when the world speeds up, to commune when the world critiques. The solution for us is not to be devoted to these four things, but do it in a digital way. Again, digital is not bad, it's just not best. But it's to figure out in this time that we are in, with the effects that COVID has had on us and in ways still does definitely have on us. And yet stepping into a new chapter, how do we, in light of the last 16 months, and in light of biblical reality of this invitation to be in meaningful biblical community, how do we engage? I love this quote from marketing VP of a vinyl company. It says this, digitization is the peak of convenience, but vinyl or analog is the peak of experience. Man, church, how do we lean into analog opportunities in this season of our life to re-engage or relearn how to re-engage person to person, face to face, if able? Second point of this sermon is this. Okay, we see that they were devoted to four things. Now, briefly, I want to look at what their devotion looked like in action. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. What does that look like? John Stott says it's a beautiful little cameo of the Spirit-filled church. I remember when I was um, 
in college at Western, um, we were part of a gospel community. I was part of a gospel community of college students and young adults, and I remember studying this text, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, and one of the exercises we did as a gospel community was we said, okay, let's rewrite these verses in our own words, and what would that look like? If we were to have a community that did what this early church did, how would we rewrite it in our own words? What I want us to do is I read these verses is really just invite you to invite the Holy Spirit to help you dream a little. (laughs) To invite us to help the Holy Spirit to help us dream a little. To affirm, to celebrate where this is true for us because there are so many ways that this is true for us. And to highlight areas for us as a church or for you potentially individually where we might want to grow So Holy Spirit, help us dream a little. Verses 43 through 47, again, on the heels of these four things, we see them being devoted to. Verse 43, and awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing, to the, distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. A key takeaway for me as I read these verses is this, is that meaningful biblical community for them was a lifestyle. Man, that helps me so much. As sometimes I think of community as an event. Community is, according to these verses, seems much less eventy and much more ecosystem. To me, that's helpful. I hope that's encouraging or helpful to you as well. Let me, let me highlight just a few things that stand out from these verses. Verse 44 says they were together and had all things in common. It seems like there's this strong emphasis on unity with the principle of generosity toward the needy. People voluntarily just, just meeting each other's needs. Like, man, you have a need. You don't have much food. I got a bunch of property. Let me sell some of, some of my property and I'll hook you up with some food. Like that, it seems like that's what was happening. Verse 46, it seems like there's some formal aspect of community. It says they were attending the temple together, that they were some sort of corporate worship, some sort of, for us, Sunday service. There's also this aspect of maybe informal community. Man, they're hanging out in each other's homes. They're breaking bread together. They're getting together informally. They're sharing meals. They're chilling together. Verse 47 says they have favor with everyone. Man, let's listen to this. This means that people liked them. (laughs) That people liked them. That non-Christians probably liked them. And then if you keep reading in verse 47, it says, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This isn't some holy huddle, man, we're we're, we're Christians and we're the best. No, 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 no. It says that that these people, this blood-bought community, freshly having believed in Jesus, 
was living in such an attractive way that people saw it and said, I want to get in on that. How do I get in on that? And somehow they hear the gospel and they believe and then they get in on that because it says that the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And oh, by the way, it's not a pressure thing because it says the Lord added to their number. (laughs) He did it. Doesn't that sound good? <laughs> Golly, like I, I think, I don't think any of the 3,000 people in here represented are like, oh man, this really, this is tough. <laughs> man, I think they were loving it. I'm sure life had its ups and downs, no doubt, but they were loving it. Man, I think this is true of us in tons of ways, and I think we can get better in other ways. Why not us? As I look at this text, why not us? Why, not, why, why wouldn't we continue to pursue this type of meaningful biblical community? And here's the beauty, I think we are. <laughs> the beauty is by God's grace, we're not starting from scratch at all. We're starting from a wonderful place or, or we're continuing from a wonderful place. And what I wanna do is just pose this question, what if each of us committed to taking a simple next step in pursuing this type of meaningful biblical community because my next step might be very different than your next step and vice versa. Your next step might be very different from someone in your gospel community's next step. The next steps are broad, but what if all of us committed to taking a next step to pursuing this sort of meaningful biblical community? Man, I step back and I pause. Just wonder what that could look like. I wanna just do a laundry list of potential next steps. Choose one, two if you're ambitious, but maybe just stick with one of what it could look like to continue to take a next step in pursuing this meaningful biblical community, the type of meaningful biblical community that we see in this passage. Here's one, go to the barbecue. (laughs) If If you're listening to this on Sunday morning, it's in a couple hours, you can start packing up in a couple minutes here. Go to the barbecue. It sure seems like that we can do what, 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 what this early church did. We could receive food with glad and generous hearts. <laughs> Eat a burger with glad and generous heart. Talk to someone with a glad and generous heart. We're starting this new thing. And this is, I guess, formally, uh, officially announcing this. We're doing this new thing in July called Meetups. We'll publicize this to the church and talk more about it. But the idea of a meetup is that anyone in the church can host a meetup and it can really be uh, around just about anything. For example, do you mountain bike? You can host a meetup and invite people from the church to come and mountain bike with you. Are you a mom with kids that you'd like to go to a park and just hang out with other moms with kids? You can have a meetup and do that. Any, It's a low barrier, low friction, easy entry into some sort of community. Meetups are starting. You could host one or go to one. Discipleship groups, join one or start one. Groups of three to five people, gender specific, sharing life together, pointing each other to Jesus. Gospel community. We have 15 gospel communities. Check one out. We'll help you find one that is a good fit. These are just ways that you can self-select into a meaningful next step into biblical community. You could pray about or talk to someone about hosting or leading a gospel community. Why? Because maybe you want to help other people get in on the type of meaningful biblical community that you've experienced or that you would like to experience. 
How about this? Have somebody over for dinner. Have a family or someone in the church over for dinner. Make them a meal. How about this one? Take time to learn someone's story. Say, hey, I'm going to buy you a coffee or a lunch or a drink or whatever and just take an hour and say, man, I want to learn your story. You talk about building meaningful biblical community. What about this? Live on mission with people in your community. Ask your friends who don't know Jesus or your neighbors who don't know Jesus and invite them into barbecues. What about this? Interact with people knowing that, man, they're a sinner who's struggling with stuff just like you and I are sinners who are struggling with stuff. That helps build meaningful biblical community and the type of gospel culture that we so cherish. Here's another one. Become a member. If you've been around Redeemer for a while and you're like, man, this feels like home, membership very well might be a good thing for you. If you already are a member, man, commit to rereading the member covenant you signed, whether that was a couple months ago or 10 years ago. What if all of us just took a next step? One of those steps that I just listed out or one you came up with or might come up with later this week, if all of us took a next step in pursuing this type of meaningful biblical community, I want to finish with this. Let's go back to one word from verse 42. It says, and they, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Who's your they? Who is your they? Who are the people that you are building meaningful biblical community with within our church? What's the next step for that? And as we all continue to figure out who our they is, who our meaningful biblical community is, whether you have it and are taking the next step or are wanting it and taking the next step, Man, what an opportunity for us as a church to lean into analog opportunities like this in a digital age where this is crazy unique and I think by God's grace going to be extremely impactful for us as we re-engage in what it looks like to do person-to-person, face-to-face, meaningful, biblical community. We want to receive communion now. Um, Again, as I mentioned earlier, communion is a reminder and a retelling of the gospel that on the cross that God the Father turned his back and severed relationship with his son for a moment in order to welcome rebels like you and me into his family and to have him as our father who loves us and to have a whole bunch of other brothers and sisters in Christ that we got to get a call family and community. Take the bread representing Jesus' body and dip it in the juice representing Jesus' blood spilled on the cross in the place of anyone who would trust in him. And remember the good news of the gospel. Let's pray. I'm going to pray from a quote or a prayer from Scotty Smith. And he says this. Gracious Father, 
we praise you for the gift of community, for your placing us in a forever family of sisters and brothers. Show us how to more fully engage with our corporate calling as your beloved people. None of us can do without the other. You've given gifts to each of us for the benefit of others. Even our brokenness, weakness, and burdens are not our own. They too are to be shared. Yet our selfishness and the business and drivenness of our culture conspire to make it easy for us to think only of ourselves. But the gospel contradicts all such isolated and independent living. You chose us by your foreknowledge, redeemed us by your son, and set us apart by your spirit to demonstrate the reconciling and redeeming power of the gospel in our cities and among the nations of the world. Indeed, you've called us to live as strangers in this world, not as strange people. If there's to be anything offensive about us, may it only be the gospel of your grace. Renew our church and help us plant new churches which make the gospel beautiful and believable. May we live as good citizens of heaven and the cities where you've placed us. May our neighbors be glad that we are among them. Help us to offer a meaningful glimpse of the future we share because the gospel is true. Lord Jesus, it's only because you were obedient to death, even death upon the cross, that we can offer back in obedience of grateful faith. Live and love in us and through us to your glory. Be magnified in our hearts, revealed in our cities, and revered among the nations of the world. So very amen we pray with great anticipation in your most worthy name. Amen.